Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture for today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 12 to 23. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading comes from the book of Matthew, from the 10th chapter. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Just a few years ago, not too far from where I grew up in North Carolina, a woman was driving through her neighborhood at dusk. It was an affluent neighborhood, large houses, manicured lawns, not a gated community, but it was certainly a community that saw very little traffic apart from those who lived there. 
the woman driving home after a long day at work spotted something on a park bench in front of the neighborhood church. And as she drove a little bit closer, she was startled to see that it was a man sleeping under a tattered blanket. Out of concern for her safety and the security of the church and the neighborhood, she frantically called the police to report this homeless man threatening her neighborhood. If only the woman had gotten a little bit closer, if she had approached the man, tried to talk to him, tried to cover his chilly feet sticking out from underneath the blanket, she would have noticed the wounds in the top of his feet, and that would have given him away. Just a few days earlier, St. Albans Episcopal Church had completed the installation of their new sculpture, Jesus the Homeless. A man, Jesus, covered almost completely by a blanket, lying on a park bench in front of the church to remind them that in serving the least of these, they were serving and receiving Jesus Christ. In our summer sermon series, we have been walking with Jesus in mercy and justice and humility, and today we shift from mercy and toward justice. We gather here Sunday after Sunday in order to celebrate and receive God's mercy because God is abundantly merciful. But as the statue of the homeless Jesus outside the church reminds us that our worship is more than just an expression of our praise and our gratitude, it's also a reminder, it's a summons to remember God's justice and that we're supposed to live justly out in the world considering the welfare of all God's people as our number one priority. Worship and justice are two sides of the same coin. We can't faithfully do one without also doing the other. And so God has called a special category of people into the ministry of reminding us to do justice. God has called prophets. Prophets are different from your everyday pastors Though we pastors try to be prophetic from time to time, as we learned during our Linton Artistic Art Exhibition, it often takes artists to depict and bring us awareness of God's justice in the world. <clears throat> artists are able to bring about this kind of justice in a way that's very subtle, that doesn't offend us too much, but still brings us to live in a new way in the world. They make sure that the needs out in the world are the very heart of everything that we do here in our prayers and our devotion. In the times of the Old Testament, there was a clear distinction between pastor types on the one hand and prophet types on the other. Whereas the pastor dwelt among a community of people, bringing care and assurance to the people who lived there, a prophet was an outsider, one who lived way out in the hills, one who only came into town long enough to bring a word from the Lord and to offend the Lord's people in the process. The prophet Amos speaks on behalf of God to a people whose worship is no longer grounded in justice. Hear what Amos has to say to the people through the message paraphrase. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image-making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? 
I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Ouch. There's a good reason behind why the saying, a prophet can never go home. Indeed, a prophet is kind of offensive. We don't want a prophet to be in our space. In our gospel reading today, Jesus is linking the justice work of the prophets with the practice of welcome and hospitality. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, says Jesus, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in my name, in the name of a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. In other words, how a community responds to God's prophet, to God's outsiders, is an indication of how the community's will respond to Jesus Christ in their midst. As with any practice of justice, true hospitality comes at a great challenge. Like any community, a church has boundaries that give us a sense of how we are to live and act and worship. And when communities feel threatened, we tend to focus inwardly, seeing all outsiders as threats to us. But also, if we don't have a strong enough identity as who we are, we will be the servant of any false prophet who makes their way to our community. Hospitality, then, is a balance. It's knowing who we are as God's people, but also knowing that God is able to change us from the outside, that through outreach, through our relationships with other communities, by listening to prophets and being in the company of the poor, we are participating in God's transformation of the world and God's justice. Christine Pohl, who I quoted in our Life Together email that went out, writes that the practice of hospitality reflects a willingness on the part of a community of people to be open to others, to their insights, their needs, and their contributions. Hospitable communities recognize that they are incomplete without other folks but they also have a treasure to share with them. Hospitality is the foundation for justice, looks a whole lot more like a relationship than justice as charity or advocacy looks. In this kind of relationship, there is no clear sense of who is the giver and who is the receiver. Both are changed by the mutuality of the interaction together. Again, Paul says that for communities that practice hospitality, one of the most precious resources that we have is friendship and fellowship. More than offering ministry or service to those in need, they welcome people into a common life together. That the best gift that we can give to other people is our time and attention. Human beings need a place in which they and their contributions are valued and welcome. A a hospitable community finds a way to value these gifts of people. And this means that communities and folks within them must be willing to receive as well as give. They must be willing to change as much as they are willing to be changed. Over the last week or so, I've been reading a little book called Living Without Enemies, Being Present in the Midst of Violence. The book is written by two folks in Durham, North Carolina. And Durham, if you don't know, is a city that's historically divided along the lines of race and economic disparity. 
It's also a town historically riddled with gun violence and homicide and murder. Marcia Owens, one of the authors of this book, had long been an active member of a group of congregations working for a nonviolent Durham. She talks about how justice for them initially looked like advocating for policies that would reduce gun violence in the community, in the city. Her group had some limited success locally until a state law came about and nullified all the work that they had been doing. They were crushed, crushed that they no longer were able to exercise their sense of agency to make their city a better place. But the setback had another consequence. This group realized that what they had been doing, working so hard on this issue, they had been doing so without hearing, without listening, without knowing those who were most inflicted or affected by the gun violence in their community. They had worked and worked for justice, but they had not made space to welcome the people who were hurt most by the violence. And so the book is about her change and the group's change from an engagement that looked like working for somebody, advocating on behalf for somebody. And it changed to a new approach, and that new approach was being with, just being with other people. Marcia says that being with means experiencing in your own body something of the fragility of relationships, self-esteem, and general well-being that are at the heart of poverty. It means having the, patient not, the patience not to search around for the light switch, but to sit side by side in the darkness for a little while. After they made this change from being for to being with, the makeup of the group slowly started to change in response. And the makeup of the group included people from all the different parts of the divided community. They became a little microcosm of what they wanted the whole city to be. And they began to hold prayer vigils, prayer vigils at the sites where people had been killed by guns and gun violence. They were inviting victims, families' victims, victims of the family, perpetrators and the families of the perpetrators, neighbors and others in the community to come together and lament this great loss of life. Many different communities of insiders, outsiders to one another, started to show hospitality for one another. They started caring for each other, listening to one another. And very slowly, victims of gun violence were no longer statistics for them. These victims were now brothers and sisters. They were neighbors, friends. The seeds for this kind of reconciliation was sown in the depths of lament but it fostered a sense of reconciliation that transformed a people and transformed a community. These communities were willing to risk being vulnerable to those outside of themselves, risking to be changed by one another, and they were all profoundly changed by God, even as they wait for God's full sense of justice and reconciliation to come and be in their midst. God's justice finds its way to us through Jesus Christ, who came into this world as God's greatest outsider, as God's greatest prophet in whom all our painful divisions are ultimately reconciled together. 
And it's through our imitation of that welcome that we are able to welcome others. Welcome others into our community and ourselves to be changed by people that we would otherwise consider outsiders. But friends, we start with hospitality. We start with welcome. We start with the possibility that in an enemy we might find a friend. That in a stranger we might find a neighbor. In an outsider we might find a prophet. We start with the possibility that our community might be transformed by interaction with another community. We start with the possibility that on a bench outside of our church, we might find not just another homeless man, but we might find a brother, that we might find truly Christ himself, sharing in our life, receiving what we have to offer, and bringing us reconciliation to the church and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. In a world that's shaped by conflict, where we seem to be slipping back into tribal divisions, you call us to welcome those with whom we have absolutely nothing in common. In a culture full of inequalities that only seem to be widening, you call us to treat each person as sister, as brother. In a time of intensifying injustices, you call us to yoke ourselves to your radical hope in a lifestyle that idolizes the individual and rights to the exclusion of all others. You call us to notice the parents who work two or three jobs, the man diminished by dementia, the refugee family on the corner. May we offer not just cups of cold water, but may we give all that we have and all that we are to those who are in your midst, to those who are standing on the edges, even as we pray to you this day. So this morning we remember the love and grace offered us by God and Jesus Christ. And we hear his welcome extended to all. And we speak of the mystery of your faith. Christ has died welcoming our death as his own. Christ was raised by the gift of God's own hope. And Christ will come again to fulfill God's promise. Your welcome is compassionate and extended to anyone at any time even as your spirit is poured out by the gifts of this table of life. Your life, broken in love, becomes the wholeness that strengthens us to feed all who hunger and thirst for a constant companion, not a skipped meal. Your grace, which is poured out into us, becomes the hospitality by which we welcome all of your people. And now come to us yet again, O God, in this bread and in this cup, that they may be for us signs of your kingdom breaking in upon us, cracking open our minds and our mental pictures, that you might come to us as brother and sister. So set apart this bread and this cup from a common to a sacred use and benefit, so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might come to us in this holy meal of sacrifice and praise. And having given yourselves to us and shaped us by your life, we offer these your words as our prayer this day. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.